Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. The race is on, and Max Verstappen and Red Bull picks up where they left off in 2023 by topping the first day of pre-season testing in Bahrain, over a second clear of the rest. But what did we really learn about the competitive order by looking beyond the headline times, and what new car details were on show? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to review all the action from Sakir is Scott Mitchell-Malm, with help from Gary Anderson and Mark Hughes. Well, Scott, here we are again, pre-season testing. We're back! Exactly, we're always here. We're li- literally here. We're in the same hotel we've been in. This is the third year now. Yeah, yeah. Shout out Ibis Seaf Manama. They don't sponsor us, but I'd like it if they did, because oh, then it would be cheaper. Now all the autograph hunters are going to be here. <laughs> It'd be like a Ferrari driver hotel. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure the uh, Bahraini population are just would just be clawing at us as we try to get into the car uh, tomorrow morning. Should we oh. give a dummy time for when we're, when we're leaving, just so we're... Um, not being mobbed they'll probably just be there to make sure we do indeed leave i would have thought but yeah testing first day of testing is always good it's always a little bit onerous before it starts because they're very very busy days you weren't you weren't in a particularly good shape about 24 hours ago were you i was just oh it's all gonna (laughs) it's testing there's just gonna be a cavalcade because i like it but there's always so much to try and get through and understand but uh once it gets going it's always great isn't it and well i think you use the phrase um tsunami of noise to yes. describe some of the um sort of conversations that we've ended up having today just like because when we uh just to paint a picture obviously we've got um a load of colleagues doing a ton of work back at base while we're on site and we're the glory hunters we're the glory hunters absolutely we're we're just you know here to pick up the pick up the trophy and then and then walk away um we're obviously doing all sorts at the track whether that's in the pit lane track side going in the paddock speaking to people media sessions whatever um but it means that we are we spend big chunks of time away from our laptops and our desks and then when we come back to the people that have been grinding away looking at photos pulling together comparisons, dealing, listening out, watching the coverage, listening to people, doing all, all kinds of, doing that real, <laughs> doing that real slog stuff while we're, I mean, <laughs> quote unquote, enjoying ourselves actually on site. Like you miss, even if you miss half an hour or an hour, on the f- especially on the first day of testing and all the cars have appeared in the first two or three hours. I was in the pit lane for nearly two hours this morning. When I came back, my laptop nearly exploded with all of the updates from uh, from the channel. So yeah, sitting through that is um, is one of the sort of uh, sort of twisted joys of testing. I think there's just so much information and you can't consume it all. You try and distill down what you can, but it's just. There's a it's it's a bit strange, isn't it? It's like a mix of there's the cliche like back at school vibe because you're seeing a lot of people that you haven't seen since the end of last season. You might have seen some people around launches and, and whatever, but you see people that you haven't seen for a while. So that's that kind of thing. There's the anticipation of seeing the cars in person for the first time. There's that piece in that puzzle that they're together that we talked about on our preview podcast for for testing, learning the pecking order, learning things out. There's there's so much going on and 
you're right that sort of there's a sense of anticipation just before day one and also a bit of trepidation as well for us but then you get there and it's just you don't have time to worry about how much there is to do and like you just pile into it and it's it's great fun. I do. I think it is one of the best days of the year, day one of testing. Oh, certainly. It's like Christmas for an F1 fan, isn't it, ultimately? And it's great as things start to take shape. And I did enjoy going out this morning, watching trackside, seeing the cars in action, which was great. Uh, we'll speak to Gary Anderson about that later on because he was out there with me. In fact, while you were in the pit lane running up and down, getting lots of detail shots of the cars and taking a good look me and gary were we're out trackside so that, that's sort of how it works all these little sort of pockets of activity but trying to knit everything together that's the fun part i think you um you give me a bit too much credit for my work in the pit lane my running up and down there was a point where i was for about 40 minutes camped outside the red bull garage i was basically trained on the rb20 waiting for it to um leave the garage come back into the pits go out again because the, the 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 money shot for us when we're waiting is really to be there with a really clear view as the car comes out the garage and as it's wheeled back in because it's it's kind of the clearest imagery you can get it's harder for them to to block everything off but when i was first there i think i'd i think i might have just max was just going out but there were loads of photographers out front of the of the garage so I had to wait for him to come back in, but he kept doing this thing where he would come in, come into the pit box, wait for about seven or eight seconds, and then crack on again. So I just had to, I had to stand there waiting, just waiting for it to come round and actually park and be wheeled back into the garage. But it was worth it because I got to see the RB20 from all kinds of angles and really sort of piece together that kind of 3D image properly and understand the shapes better and like what they've actually tried to achieve because I didn't get to see it at the launch I know that you and Mark had a limited view from where you were in the audience I just saw it 2D form um, what was released so actually seeing it there and actually being able to realize this it's um, it's a there's a there's a beauty in how sophisticated these cars are and you don't appreciate it until you can see them in person and that that RB20 is a there's parts of that car that's like it's like work of art level of detail. It, it really is an extraordinary car. Well, there's detail just in the aero surface shapes, like down around the floor and in the undercover. Finding the, that inlet that we didn't see that goes into the um, the, the the cannons on the shoulder yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. We didn't we had no idea those were there, and you just see that and you just think this is this is fantastic. Yeah, just so much so much detail. And on the subject of the Red Bull RB20, obviously people who may have glanced at the times will see Max Verstappen and Red Bull at the top of the timesheets and be thinking, oh, not again. Not necessarily because it's a problem for Verstappen and Red Bull being on top, but just that combination being head and shoulders above the rest. They, they were over a second clear, which is a, a little we bit We didn't worrying. even get one day of 2024, did we, of hope? <laughs> well, <laughs> that, ultimately, I, I think Max Verstappen would quite enjoy some more battles. I think he'd like to win just as many races, but have some harder fights along the way, and he'll be absolutely equal to them. But is there reason to be discouraged for those who would be hoping for a, a closer fight at the front? Or is actually there reason to be excited because it's only day one and ultimately the lap times don't matter really? I think it's too soon for the optimism to be completely dampened. It's It, it undoubtedly is a, a setback if you were hoping, if you were hoping that the extent of the Red Bull changes meant that they dropped the ball in some way. You they've know, not head off, headed off in some mad direction no, that's, exactly. that has gone wrong. No, they've, so they've not developed themselves into this um, cul-de-sac or anything like that and bitten off more than they can chew, that no, nothing like that. Um, if, if you were hoping that it would be a misstep because they felt, oh, if we just do iterative evolution, then 
we're going we're at risk of being caught because everyone else is going to switch to this design as well they've we've talked about this before they've gone aggressive they've they've pursued different solutions and and, and designs they've really pushed the boat out on this car and done, done a lovely job with it in terms of how well put together it looks it's not the it's not the most aesthetically pleasing car in some respects because it's quite big and bulky at the top now with the way that they have that that engine cover and the and the cannons along along the side but like i said there's beauty in the sort of the the the, the detail almost i i think that i think that there's no sign that they've screwed it up there's certainly indications that the rb20 is a step on from the rb19 which is worrying um, for for rivals and people hoping for it to be a closer fight, but there's a lot to do over the next couple of days. Um, you don't know for starters whether or not they've got that car in a great window on day one, but it'll be hard to replicate. You don't know how much more there is to come from that car versus what there is to come from rivals. So don't. I wouldn't be too discouraged. The only thing I would say is that it's undoubtedly an ominous start because it wasn't just fast; it was consistently fast through the through most of the day, really. Um, it looked better as the day went on, so they seemed to tidy up the the, the car behaviour a little bit. It, Verstappen had a brilliant day in terms of mileage. It was like 143 laps, I think, which I think was more Spot than on, any, 143 more laps. Than anyone. Um, and it was just serene. And when you change that much on the car, and yes, they've shaken it down already, but they've when you change that much on the car and you've got some, such high hopes for it, your dream start is to have a trouble-free first day where you can just run through your entire run plan. And that's what they did. And it's just, like I said, there's just no sign that they've dropped the ball. So it's really on the rivals to have up their game so much that they can actually be a threat. I, I, I sit here now thinking I've got no reason to believe that Verstappen and Rebel are not the clear favourites already. But I don't, I don't lose all hope that they can be challenged. Yeah, it's not game over by any stretch of the imagination. So we've said Max Verstappen was fastest with a 1 minute 31.344 ahead of Lando Norris over a second quicker. But let's hear from Mark Hughes now because he's been locked in a bunker analysing every single lap time, crunching the numbers, really putting in the heavy lifting in terms of what can be learned from the lap time. So let's hear from him about what he's learned from the numbers. Why I numbers. That's what he always says. Why I. So, how seriously do we take the fact that Max Verstappen lapped more than 1.1 seconds faster than anyone on the first day of pre-season tests? Well, we take the fact that he was fastest seriously as a good indication that the radical-looking Red Bull RB20 is not some fiendishly overcomplicated beast that the team is going to struggle to get a tune from. Aside from a few wayward moments early in the morning on the hard compound tyres, the car appeared to be nicely balanced and riding beautifully over the bumps, which were upsetting even the best of its rivals. But we shouldn't take too seriously the margin advantage uh, of advantage, not at this stage anyway, because when Verstappen first put on a set of the medium compound C3 tyres, although he went at the top of the timesheets, his margin over Fernando Alonso's Aston Martin was only three tenths. And shortly afterwards, Charles Leclerc came out on the new set of C3s on his Ferrari, and despite spoiling his first fly over the lockup, managed to get within two tenths of Verstappen's benchmark on tyres, which by then had done three laps. But that was the last time we had a meaningful comparison to Verstappen because Ferrari, Aston and Mercedes were concentrating on higher fuel long runs in the morning while Red Bull continued to finesse the balance of its car over a series of shorter runs and then give Verstappen another attack opportunity just before the break in which he knocked a further four tenths off his time. In the afternoon, as the low temperatures and the building rubber layer made the track progressively quicker, 
Verstappen made another three low fuel attempts and unsurprisingly was way quicker than in the morning. His final 131.344, around one and a half seconds faster than he went in the equivalent session last year. So Red Bull looks totally in control of its program, the car seems to go as well as it looks, but the margin of superiority suggested by the lap times is also the product of Verstappen having five serious attempts at a fast time compared to one each for Alonso and Leclerc and two for McLaren's Lando Norris, who ended up as second fastest overall. McLaren, like Mercedes, suffered a slow start and were late taken to the track, but once his car was sorted in the afternoon, Norris quickly got into the groove and got within half a second of Verstappen's morning time on his first attempt at a low fuel time. On his next run with an another new set of C3s, he improved to eclipse Verstappen's morning time by a tenth, but that was quickly eclipsed, put into perspective, by the subsequent three Red Bull attack runs, all of which were quicker than McLaren. Carlos Sainz took over from Leclerc at Ferrari and lapped with it a tenth of McLaren. When we talk a lot of fuel, there'll be differences between the teams of the base weights chosen, just as there will be with engine modes. All we can do is attempt an order of magnitude similarity by the length and timing of the runs and the chosen tyres. We've no way of knowing how much of Verstappen's improvement from the morning when he was only a couple of tenths faster than a tyre-compromised Leclerc was from having lowered the fuel load further or extended the PU harder. We do know that the track was significantly faster, as suggested by a comparison between Leclerc's morning best to Sainz's afternoon, which was over seven-tenths faster. So it's not the fact of Red Bull's superiority on the first day that we can seriously doubt on its extent. Ferrari, Aston and McLaren actually look quite evenly matched when comparing like with like in terms of timing, tyres and length of runs. Certainly too close to try and differentiate them at this early stage. Sainz ran a nine-lap sequence on C3s, which averaged less than a tenth slower than Norris's ten-lap run at the same time on the same tyre. Mercedes ran a more conservative programme with George Russell based around multiple long runs, some of them on the harder C1 and C2 tyres. Its place in the headline times is wildly pessimistic, but with not enough data to make a comparison with Ferrari, McLaren and Aston. The RB team ended up fourth fastest on headline numbers after several Daniel Ricciardo attempts on C3s, with Pierre Gazzi's Alpine within a couple of tenths of that, despite having concentrated most of its early running on the hard tyres. Sabre and Williams look quite closely matched, with Haas bringing up the rear. And that's the very rudimentary picture from day one in Bahrain. Great stuff there, as always, from Mark. And I guess before we move on from Red Bull, Scott, we should mention the inevitable Christian Horner interest there was today. As ever, the investigation's ongoing, so we can't say too much about that, but it's very clear it's it's sort of hanging over things. But he's here, and once again, as at the launch, it's projecting that business-as-usual vibe, isn't it? It is. Um, there were a few people that, I think, jumped on the fact that he was around in, in, in plain clothes, but that's actually quite standard for the Red Bull um, upper echelons at, at testing. Adrian Newey was there in civvies. Helmut Marco was there in civvies. So um, we've seen them before in previous years. Yeah, it's, it's quite common. Yeah, yeah. This, it's just a, it's a little bit less formal. I suspect he'll be in team gear tomorrow because he's going to be in the, in the press conference. So we'll hear from him again there. Um, the, with, with nothing changing in terms of the investigation still being ongoing, no decision either way yet, and the fact that he remains in his roles while that, while that investigation's being carried out, there was no reason for him not to be here. In not, then that's not me justifying his presence. Just in that he was at the launch. It's very clear that he's going to stay front and centre. His yeah, they've laid that he set out his stall. Yeah, on that. his attitude to this is, but you know, he's denied the allegations. He's made it clear that he his business is normal, as he kept saying at the 
at the launch. So, of course, he's going to be here for, for testing. Obviously, it's just the, the way it is for Rebel until this is resolved. But I think it is moving towards a resolution, obviously. But they've got to do the investigation correctly. That's absolutely critical. That's the main thing. I feel like we, well, we're obviously getting closer to a solution. I don't know if it can be resolved for the Bahrain Grand Prix. There's an argument that it would be in Rebel's interest, but I think the, the first and foremost priority, in fact, the only priority, is to do the process properly. Let it let it play out for as long as it needs to. It hasn't been helped by the amount of speculation that there's been. I do wish that that wouldn't happen, and it would just be left to to to, to play out as a as a full and complete process. That's not really the world we live in, unfortunately. Um, I just hope that whatever time frame this ends up running to, it isn't fast-tracked in any way to mean that the end result is compromised. Yeah, it's absolutely essential this is done correctly. And I'm sure there's going to be lots of talk about that. But until yeah, that investigation is complete, not too much that can be said about it. Well, before we move on to hearing from our F1 tech expert, Gary Anderson, I want to remind you of an incredible offer we're running right now for the Race Members Club. If you love this podcast and want extra audio content, as well as loads of other things like early access to our Bring Back V10's podcast and an ad-free web environment, then the Race Members Club could be for you. Right now, for a strictly limited period, you can get one month's membership for free and after that the normal monthly price is just 2.99 which we hope you'll find fantastic value got loads of good stuff planned over the coming months and there's loads of stuff in the archive for you to dig into as well including a recent members only Q&A to sign up today click the link in the description to the episode hear that believe it or not summer is just around the corner Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, for the second part of this podcast, I'm joined by Gary Anderson. Now, we've been at the track all day today. Obviously, you got to see the cars trackside. You got to see the cars up close in the pit lane. You also spent a bit of time pouring over yet more photos of the cars. I guess trackside's probably the most exciting bit, isn't it? Where you actually see the cars running around early days. Learn anything from that? Well, it was very early days. It was very early today as well, you know, whenever we went out in the morning to have a look. Um, so I think everybody was treating it a little bit cautiously at that point in time. There were still quite a few cars with aero rakes on them or, you know, doing uh, aero runs down the straight where you do a, a sort of constant speed with a different level of front wing downforce or something just to, to try and measure the downforce on the straights. And as I say, to get that, you need to do a constant speed. So um, there was a bit of a driver, you know, playing around with that sort of stuff but when we saw a few cars running um it seemed to be you know a real a sort of lack of front end grip that was hindering most of them now that can be got out in the balance of the car obviously one way or another 
but it is the sort of limiting factor. I think we've seen that over a couple of years now that the the low and medium speed corners, um, the front end is just not quite as strong um, as it needs to be. And then if you if you adjust the car to suit that, then the rear gets nervous in the fast corners, which the driver doesn't like. So, as you say, early days, first day of testing, but. Um, it was interesting out in the track. The track got a lot faster as the as the day went on. You know, I think um, Verstappen's fastest time in the morning to fastest time in the afternoon was something like one point three percent faster or something. So I'm pretty sure that was the track. So it'll be interesting to have a look tomorrow when it's all settled down a little bit. The interesting thing is, you always look for cars that are quite honest and true and responsive purely on a, not lap time, but just on a what the car looks like basis. When we were out there, the one that probably looked like if you had to jump in one and yep. expect it to do what it should do, the Aston Martin was yep. probably yep. the one. It wasn't yep. perfect, but yep. it looked decent, didn't it? It did look decent, yeah. From, from sort of the beginning, really, it was the one car that, it it still had that little nudge of understeer, I suppose you might call it, but it was consistent. Um, whereas most of the other cars weren't, you know, when the driver tried to carry a little bit more speed into the corner, the front end would sort of wash out a bit on, on the other cars, whereas the Aston Martin it didn't seem to have that problem. Um, we then saw, obviously, it went missing for a little while, obviously didn't set up change, and then when they come back out again, it did have lots more understeer. So what you normally do during these test sessions, you'll have a, a base setup that will come from simulation on the car, and then you'll, you'll vary that setup you know, maybe plus or minus 10% of the stiffness of the car or the the uh, roll stiffness compared to the vertical stiffness. So you'll do, you'll have a program of of um, changes to do that you know, are not necessarily to make the car go faster, but they're necessary to gather the data of what happens when you do this. So there'll be, a, as I say, a base setup and then plus or minus a percentage just to see how what the, the feeling in the car is and the outcome. So the fact you see a car going well and then maybe going slower is not really wrong it's just about gathering all that data to know what will happen when it comes to a you know a Saturday afternoon and you want to adjust something on the car you say you know well, when we were in Bahrain and we did this this is what happened so you know you just try to to um to set some scenarios so that during a race weekend you can react faster yeah, which is why, particularly early on, when they're working through some of those setup ranges and that kind of thing, it, it's very much about that, not about the the pace and performance. But in terms of those impressions, the Red Bull looked fine, not absolutely flabbergasting or anything, but fine. Yeah, yeah, it looked quite solid. I mean, again, it's fuel loads, all that sort of stuff that we don't really know. Um, you would say that the Red Bull, you know, had a bit of understeer. Um, and I know Max is not a lover of understeer. Um, we saw a couple of occasions where the front would sort of wash out completely. Um, so, you know, when he was trying to carry a bit more speed into the corner, you know, the car was probably pretty heavy at that point in time. As I say, it was fairly early in the day, so there's no there's no real need to run the car, you know, medium tanks even. Um, but I sort of look at these things that carry about 100 kilograms of fuel. You know, if you're going for a race run, you need 100 kilograms in the car. If you're doing most of your setup work, you probably base it around 50 kilograms. Um, and if you're going to go for a, you know, a fast qualifying run as such, not out and out qualifying, you're probably going to run 20 kilograms of fuel. But when it comes to, you know, a real qualifying session, you'll be putting probably five or six kilograms in. So there's always going to be that little offset. Um, but you do want to experience those things. You do want to find out how the brakes work, low fuel and medium fuel and high fuel. So you will go through all these different scenarios just to just to get the experience and, and just see what happens. And and also even, you know, you will try to run the car out of fuel. Um, maybe these cars have got new fuel system in them, new fuel tanks, because a lot of, lot of teams have 
played around with the chassis um, width and such so, so this this year. And um, you want to make sure the fuel system works right down to that last, you know, dampness in an oily rag as such. You know, you got to get every bit of fuel out of the car. So, um, yeah, there'll be all of that going on, but you won't necessarily be doing a fast lap when you're running out of fuel. You might just do it on old tyres, but they will do it. And, of course, because it was early days, we won't do a kind of comprehensive rundown uh, of trackside impressions, but we can talk a little bit more about the cars. You did have a look up close at them, and I don't know about you, but I always find it great when you see the cars fully in 3D, as it were, rather than just uh, images. But one car that interests people is the Mercedes. Lots of nice detail on that car. You were quite impressed with it in the launch spec. Has that opinion held now you've seen the real thing? Uh, yes, it has. I mean, you know, there's, there's two things that you, you look at, I look at anyway, just to, to sort of try and understand the car a bit. And that's sort of what I call engineering excellence, you know, mechanical engineering, how, how everything's carried out on the car mechanically, the mounting of stuff and, you know, the, the practicality of all that sort of mounting stuff. And as I say, the Mercedes, without doubt, is right up there. I mean, obviously the Red Bull is, but the Red Bull, you sort of biased it a little bit towards the fact that it's performed quite well as well. So, you know, you're, you're biased towards that. But the Red Bull is an exceptional engineered car as well. But I'd still say the Mercedes was just that nudge better than that. Um, and again, as I said to you earlier, Ed, you know, going down the pit lane a little bit um, and looking at the other cars, the, the lesser teams, you know, I'd have to say that engineering-wise, um, and, the, you know, the, the sort of challenge of engineering is, is high in my, my regard. It's... The the um, the Williams is I'm sorry, but it's you know it's about ten years out of date. There's nothing exotic about the engineering on it. Everything's you know relatively basic, and that, and that is the spread from the front to the back. You know, is that that depth of of engineering expertise? I think that that move you forward. So, you know, yeah, Mercedes looks very good. Is it fast? We'll have to wait and see. But it, it, you know, as far as an engineering package is concerned, it's it's a well-designed car. We haven't mentioned the Ferrari yet. No, I haven't mentioned the Ferrari yet. Um, you know, if I take this, the same things I'm talking about engineering the cars here, and I move that on to aerodynamic um, sort of engineering, um, in other words, body surfaces, detail of body surfaces, all that sort of stuff. Um, it, it's the Ferrari doesn't excite me. You know, the Ferrari falls down the pile of quite a long way. Um, and it's, you know, again, you look at the Red Bull, it's quick and all that sort of stuff. And again, the Mercedes, you know, the two of them are exciting as far as aerodynamic surfaces and the detail of aerodynamic surfaces is concerned. But the Ferrari is, again, it, it sort of joins the bottom of the pile a little bit. It's, there's nothing too exotic on it. It's just, it's just strange because, you know, it's one of those sort of things where the detail of just the underneath of the nose and how you sweep that nose in and there's a the front bulkhead in the car where the nose joins onto it. There's a cross-sectional area for that bulkhead. Everybody has to have the same minimum. Um, and if you look at, you know, the Red Bull or, or as now the, uh, the Red Bull 2, the detail of that bottom of that nose, I mean, it just really does get, it opens up dramatically uh, the underneath of the front wing. Um, and then it has to come out quite sharply to the to the bulkhead size because you have to do it. Whereas Ferrari, they don't bother with, you know, making the bottom of the nose, you know, a sort of cling film job. They, they just sort of let it, the lines are nice. They're, they're simple. You know, the, the lines are simple on the car, I think is the best way of putting it. And the one thing I did notice about quite a few cars, to be honest, there's, there's, there's quite a big variation in what you might call, um, you know, earlier on in the, and this set of regulations, we sort of saw the 
Alfa Romeo, as it was then, had a what we might call a double floor. In other words, the, the side pod had a complete undercut through there. And quite a few cars started life like that. Um, and now there still seems to be a bit of a question as to what is, what is a, a front corner side pod undercut and a Coke bottle undercut relative to a whole undercut along the side of it. You know, the cars are quite different in how that airflow comes out of that front corner and the, where the bulges are, the lumps are for the house all the re- cooling stuff and, and the lumps are to to make the airflow go where you want it to go but there's still quite a bit of confusion in that area some cars and again the mercedes is one of them it has more i would say of a double floor system than a lot of other cars so although the details nice on it i question that a little bit because you still got to sort of help that airflow in the front corner of the car going through that side pod leading edge undercut you got to help the flow to go where you want it to go you can't just let it go where it wants to go. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how that all unfolds as, well, the first part of the season goes by, I suppose. So the Ferrari looked okay trackside. The Mercedes maybe a little bit better trackside. Again, the cars are so good out the box now. It's not like I remember when we watched the Ferrari in 2012 at Barcelona. It looked terrible in change of direction. You don't see that range early on any, anymore. Anyway, the Red Bull caught the eye. Obviously, we've already ha- heard Scott talking a little bit about what it looked like when he saw it in reality but he spent quite a little bit of time today looking under the body because we had some good photos of that and also understanding what was going on with the cooling inlets with both the, the sort of the, the the shallow letterbox one horizontally and then the the vertical one close into the edge of the monocoque and yeah some interesting stuff there well i think i'll reward that trying to understand what they're doing there because it's, it's not black and white by any means um the wind tunnel and cfd in your head can only go so far well yeah i mean it's, it's like anything these inlets connect up to something somewhere um and they do something on the way there um so uh, as i say many many times you know air air that you use for you want to minimize the radiator intake because that leaves more airflow more mass flow to, to generate downforce from um, the more you use for cooling the car, the, the less you have for downforce. The more you use for downforce, potentially less you have for cooling. So it's a compromise all the time. And you got a, uh, your compromise needs to take into account you know, high, high ambient temperatures and low-speed tracks where you, you know, the cooling is not as effective. So, the, again, with the Red Bull, I can see their the radiator intake that they have on the, the top of the side pod, the, the, the sort of upside-down version of what they had last year. And the whole thing with that is, you know, they, they kept moving the, the bottom of that radiator intake up last year to a point where, you know, the, 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 the inlet was really on the top surface. Um, and probably to, to get an inlet, they couldn't go any higher with it. So, you know, logic says, well, turn it upside down and see what happens. Now, I'm a great believer in this airflow spillage that when, when it can't go through the radiator, it has to go somewhere and making sure that doesn't go into a, a, a surface that, onto a surface that's going to affect the downforce. So they've sort of gone against trend, as far as I'm concerned, there. But obviously they, they've managed it somehow, so that's okay. Um, it's the vertical inlet that's more in question to me. I, you know, you you could say, okay, we'll use that vertical inlet because the boundary layer is building up on the side of the chassis. And this is basically the frictions building. Isn't yeah, it? the thicker the boundary layer, the more friction, so yeah. the less, well, the more energy you're taking out of the airflow effect. Yes, and, and you want as much energy there as you can. So, you know, by putting an inlet, a vertical inlet like that, um, I mean, it must be, I don't know what width is exactly in, in size, but it's two centimetres or something. It's a reasonable size. So it would bleed off that, that boundary layer, 
creating a new surface to get the higher energy airflow onto it, um, which would be a good thing. But as I say, you know, I don't know where that that airflow that's been peeled off there goes to, and I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to find that it's going somewhere exotic. I suppose you might call it a bit like a, you know, what we used to call an S duct um, or the the inlet for for some mechanism that end, ends up going out the back of the car. I'm not sure that in the middle of that, in the middle of that duct work, some there's loads of coolers. Um, because if you take the area of that inlet and the area of the, the top inlet as such there now, it's, it's a substantial amount bigger than it was overall last year. And that's not, that's not the Red Bull way, you know? So you have to, you have to th- take things with a pinch of salt sometimes. I think we need to see more. We hopefully will see more in the next couple of days. Um, but it might take us into a couple of races before we actually get a, a bit more of an idea of what's really going on. At the minute, we just have to say there's a duck there. It goes somewhere, and I don't know where. A few other teams we should probably mention. McLaren, you had a good look at some of the detail differences between the launch car and the real car. Yeah, I did, and, and sort of the end of 2023 compared to 2024. And, uh, you know, I didn't get excited about what I saw. Um, they have themselves said that they will be you know, bringing out updates very early, um, which is all right, you know, but that very early needs to be soon because, you know, at the end of the day, you can lose points at the beginning of the season. It happened to them last year and, and you need to be careful. You're not just going to repeat that. You know, maybe they, maybe they have got some stuff that we'll see before the end of the test or that we'll see for next weekend, uh, Grand Prix weekend, because, you know, as I say, the, the, the car doesn't, there's nothing on there that excites me from 2023 to now, whereas, you know, the Red Bull does, the, the Mercedes does, the, the Aston Martin does, the, even the, the RB2 does. You know, there's lots of cars that give me a bit of a kick because, you know, you can see the, the sort of thought pattern that's taking them a step further. But on the McLaren, I haven't quite noticed that yet. Any other cars you wanted to pick out? I'm thinking the Alpine looked a bit understeery, but they were relatively happy with progress. The Haas, not spectacularly quick, but looked fairly honest and true on track. You had the, the RB was an interesting one. Didn't yeah, look yeah. stunning, did it? No, it didn't look stunning. But, you know, at the end of the day, again, it's fuel loads. I mean, they did a reasonable time at that, you know, whenever all push come to shove at the end of the day. And um, it's one of those sort of situations where, to be honest, I think all the cars look initially okay. There's obviously a discrepancy in fuel loads, which does relate to lap time and whatever. Um, and, and really, we won't know about that until we get to the Grand Prix weekend, whenever everybody is doing the same thing and, and going out and qualifying on low fuel. Um, because it is impossible. You know, as I say, 10 kilograms of fuel is three tenths of a second, and that's you know, a lifetime in Formula 1. So it doesn't take much to lose that bit of time. Um, but... You know, all the cars initially this today. You know, the Haas looked really strong. Um, looked you know, quite committed. Um, Magnussen was was pushing it. He was driving. He was using the curbs a lot going into the corner. You know, he was fairly confident in what he was doing. But uh, you know, then it's the stopwatch that tells the tale. And as I say, we need to get more running done just to see, you know, how who who sort of has still got room to manoeuvre and pick up uh, some pace. That's something we'll very much see over the next couple of days. I guess we should basically complete the teams. The Sauber looked a little bit untidy. The Williams looked like it had all the flavours in the world on it yeah. at one stage. Yeah. 
Well, as I say, with the Williams, you know, CNN, and, and, and they had a few problems today, so they did actually sort of strip it down a bit in the garage. And again, it's the same old thing, you know, when, when Mercedes or Red Bull strip the cars down in the garage, normally they get it covered up pretty quickly or have people standing in the way. But Williams, you know, they didn't really bother with that too much. And that's why you can sort of say, well, you know, they've got a radiator duct, for example, and there's a radiator on it, and, and that's it. You know, there's no real sort of sophistication there. It's, it's, it's pretty basic. Um, but, you know, they had, lot, they had a few problems. I think they broke a drive shaft or something at the end of the day, or they lost the drive. I'm not quite sure what happens there. I think they're using um, last year's Mercedes gearbox, um, which has still got the, the pull rod as well, which is obviously a little bit confusing because... You know, if you're going to keep up with the big boys, you've got to keep up with the big boys. You can't just sort of forge yourself to, to step back a year um, because hey, it's cheaper or there's more of them or whatever. You know, you've got to, if, if Mercedes have gone out and did a new gearbox for themselves and Aston Martin, uh, then you've got to say, you know, you should buy into that and, and go with it. Otherwise, you're, you're, you know, you're a step behind before you even start. Um, the one thing I would say about the, uh, the, the Sauber is it's very green. Um, I mean, it's I, much greener from trackside yeah, when you watch yeah, it than it actually yeah. looks like in pictures or when it's not moving. It's weird. Yeah. yeah, I thought whenever I was down the pit lane, it was it's so bright it hurts your eyes with the sunshine and the reflection on it. So yeah, it's very green. Um, is it is it a decent car? Or not I, I don't know. The, you know, at the, at the beginning it looked okay when when Bottas was having a, a bit of a pedal in it, and then it sort of seemed to find you know a few problems. It, it didn't look like the rear end of it was that secure. And then because of that, you get a bit of understeer because you can't, you know, if the rear end's unsecure in the way into the corner, you can't be aggressive on the steering wheel. So by the time you get to mid-corner, you've got more corner to take, so you have to put steering lock on it, and then you, know, you get the understeer. So, again, it's the early days, so there's time to go. I, I think, you know, I think by Friday night we'll get a handle on where we are, but I think it might be next Friday night before we really get a handle on where we are. That's when the serious stuff begins. Well, it's been a bit of a whistle-stop tour of the cars, technically, and trackside, but uh, a good starting point. We'll have more from Gary over the next couple of days at the end of, uh, of each test day, and also there's loads of his work to read on the race website. So head there for more from him. So thank you, Gary. We'll hear more from you tomorrow. We'll get back to the pod in a moment. But first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I'm back now with Scott. We've talked a lot about Red Bull with you. What other teams caught your eye in terms of what's being said, what's going on, what they look like? Anything at all? I've, I'm listing all the possible things here that it could be, and you've got an answer, and I'm just not letting you speak. Is there a re- is the reason for that that so much happened today that you can't pick out a specific topic that caught your eye, so you're desperately hoping that I will steer the conversation? I'm still in the looking around at many, many, many different interesting things, trying to make sense of it all um, uh, at the stage at the, the moment. The one thing, I, the first thing I would say, just because visually it, it stuck out was um the i was curious one of the things it was less important but i was very curious to see how some of the cars looked in the, the daytime and in, in the dark because it's a very dark grid this year with some color lacking on on the liveries and, and this, this actually is why it's important the 3d-ness as well not just for the technical detail but you see what the liveries really look like yeah i tell you what the sauber looks so green from trackside well, it's interesting that you flagged the Sauber because on on television it kind of, it didn't look as garish as I as I feared it would. Um, the, the 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 dark parts of the livery kind of come through more on TV, and then you see it in person, it's really bright. <laughs> so that's quite an interesting one. I think that works. Like it's got it's it's so obviously that car. So as in that sense, the livery is doing its job. It's 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 got quite a clear identity in that sense and second in terms of showing up most is the rb because when you watch it coming down that middle straight as as i was with gary the the sort of light coloring of the front wing it makes it look like there's like a brabham lobster claw coming in from a distance well, or something the, it really stands the, out yeah the um and the other thing about that car is that you didn't quite see it on the on the, the renders but the silver that's on that car with the visa logo and that is it's it looks better in reality or it, it, does, show, yeah. it shows off better off the uh, against the white so the, the you've got the white the red the blue and then the silver and it kind of comes together so i think that looks that looks quite strong. The Alpine, I thought, was a little bit difficult to to, to make out. That is as just about as dark as any of the liveries on on the grid, um, because there's a lot of exposed carbon uh, there. That's a bit tricky to to, to view. Um, so the the Alpine actually is significantly less attention grabbing than it was the year before. And I just judge this by you get used to sort of the, you see the car and you instantly know what it is but actually the alpine a few times i was like oh is that the williams or oh no no it's the alpine because it's not it's just not having the same impact as an alpine as it did last yeah, year yeah and ultimately the alpines of recent years have been and they might be quite a divisive livery i guess but i've thought they've been some of the nicest cars to look at because you know it's, it's a really brilliant blue that they've that they've got at their disposal there. And I think they've used the pink quite well at times as as well. Obviously, this track would have been where we saw them in the pink car, wouldn't it? Um, so that was um, very striking. I'm still spectacularly underwhelmed from when at the launch they did a big build-up for the pink livery car and showed it off. And it's like, oh, that's just this slightly underwhelming livery with a little bit of pink on well, it. The so blue they rolled accent, back on that as the well. The blue accents are pink, aren't they? And that is, it's, very, it's very minor. And I understand that this probably sounds like way too much talk about liveries and they don't matter, but they, they matter for me for two reasons. One, fans that are watching Trackside, there are fewer and fewer visual identifiers of, of cars these days. It's not like you can clock 
your driver because of the crash helmet anymore, partly because crash helmets are a bit more generic and partly because of the halo. So you need to be able to see your car, you know, and the more dark cars we have, the harder it is for them to stand out. So it's, it's a worse experience if you're trackside, especially if you're in a grandstand further removed, not like us watching trackside where we're ludicrously privileged to to be able to see them that close. And the second reason it matters is because it's part of the team's identity. And that is that that is supposed to be important in sport. Like team identity is a thing. There's a reason why there's a reason why a Ferrari is red and it stands out. There's a reason why Aston keep evolving the green. Yes, they've got more black on the on, on the top and you know that it's not completely green, but They've adopt. They've clearly readopted British Racing Green for that Aston Martin transformation a few years ago, and they're sticking with it, and it works brilliantly. Even the Mercedes, they've combined the liveries that we've seen over the last few years now, and you've got that silver and black. Like it means something, and I just don't see how you can have an affinity for something that is basically running around as quite a dark splodge that you can't really make out. So I think it does matter. I understand why some people might not. I don't. I don't know yet. I need to go and see trackside in the in the evening uh, over the last couple of days. How a couple of the cars look. I'm not too worried. I don't think I'm as worried as I was when I saw the cars all lined up in picture form. It's not quite that bad. It's not quite that bleak a grid. But I, it, it is it is just missing a, a flash of colour. Yeah, I think it would benefit from that, and that's a big access point. Everybody sees the liveries, don't they? Pretty much. So uh, that that's what grabs the uh, attention. What else excites you? I was interested to see that the the expected, well, not say expected, I wasn't really expecting it after reading the rules, but that Mercedes front wing, obviously we finally got to see it up close and 100% understand what was going on there. It looked like it satisfied the rules when we first saw it, and yeah, it does seem to satisfy the rules, doesn't it? There's, there's no great uproar about it, let's put it that way. We might... Um expose ourselves to having missed um, an important bit of detail in the coverage of testing today but actually from what we've seen today it looks like that um, that element bit is a slightly different material to what we expected it to be it looks more like um like it looks like a strip of a thin strip of carbon it's fiber. like a very minor fairing isn't it rather than a, yeah, a, a bit not, of wire it's not a bit of wire i think it's because when you zoom in and the resolution breaks up things look a bit bigger now so it looked more wiry but it makes more sense for it to be kind of a strip of just basically a strip of bodywork for want of a better a, word again don't know the answer to this just having it's one of the things that of all the things we were checking and chasing today, it wasn't high enough on the list. We never got around to it, but I guess it's always possible that it was wire when it ran at the shakedown or when it it's was possible, revealed, but, but I doubt but it. No, I think as you do, when you see, saw some of the lower resolution images, even earlier today, it looks a little bit more vague. It's just that that's the thing. You lose some of that tiny bit of detail when it's a small Which again item. is why it's so important to actually see them ourselves yeah, 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 um, yeah. In, in, with, with our own eyes. So now that, that, that ran, Toto Wolf talked about it during the day and said, as I think we've alluded to, you don't put something on that car unless you've had extensive discussions with the FIA because it's a waste of time and money, which is a bigger thing than ever now in an era of tight ATR rules and, and a budget cap. So I don't, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if some rivals have questioned it, but if the FIA have already given Mercedes a sort of tentative green light, it's never signed off in absolutely emphatic sense, is it, as an well, well, actual legal ruling? Exactly. Well, well, there's two things that can happen. Somebody can protest it, which ultimately is unlikely to happen. You can't protest until you get into a race meeting. So that would happen at the earliest convenience of someone who wants to protest it. 
And in terms of the idea the FIA could change the rules, because the FIA can make alterations if they feel things have been done that are against the intent of the rules to minimise the outwash, etc. But if it's legal in the way the regs are written, they can't do they they don't do that until the following year. So the FIA might say, actually, yeah, this is fine. We don't like this, so next year you can't do it. But they can't the, the FIA can't just declare it to be illegal. It has to be based on what the regs say. And if you read Article three point nine, I think it is, I don't see there's anything that it contravenes in there. Again, someone might make a case it is, but those are the the sort of two things that, that could happen from here. I don't get I'm not sure anyone's gonna protest it. Maybe they're keeping their powder dry, but it seems fine. The question no, is, does it work? Yeah, exactly. And um the segueing from, from from there to Mercedes performance today, because that was another thing that I was it, it was interesting in that it caught the eye and that it didn't catch the eye. I think we've been so used to the most most noteworthy moments from Mercedes in testing the last couple of years have been when the cars looked a handful, when it's looked tricky, when there have been negative noises from the drivers or, you know, some questionable body language and comments from the team and whatnot. And this was a bit different. They've been managing expectations all through preseason with all of the material around the launch. And I think it was important for them to get here, have a trouble-free first day, get a baseline for the car and just see if it's doing what they expect it to do and tentatively I think they're quite happy with what happened today George Russell described the car as a bit nicer to drive than last year's already it feels like they it feels like they feel it's a better platform and while it might not ultimately be quick enough right out the blocks what they're looking for is that foundation because then they can layer on performance over time because they are not starting from scratch, but I think it would be unreasonable and unrealistic to think that Mercedes going in a very different direction with the third version of its car for these rules could immediately be at the level of a Red Bull, which has so well understood these rules and dominated last year. Even though Red Bull have changed the car in significant ways, that that's a, I think, what was it, what was the phrase Wolf used around the launch? Like, they've got a mountain to climb to get there. So it's how far up you can get that with this launch spec. And it seemed tentatively positive. Yeah, hearing some relatively positive things from that team, they're keeping quite a low profile about everything after a chastening couple of years. But they think the car, from the, what they've seen, everything they've done back at the factory, all the simulation work and the early signs from trackside, things are making sense with this car and given how capricious the car's been over the past couple of years in its various forms that's a good step forward so yeah Mercedes are just sort of inching up in my estimation at the moment in terms of uh, of where they are but it's, it's so hard to tell isn't it we've we've not got much of a read on Ferrari yet as Gary was talking about earlier nothing sort of monstrously eye-catching there but the car looks okay the Aston Martin looks decent on track but again don't know they really are. this is the problem It'll only really be over the next couple of days when we get more and more long-run data to feed into it, a, a more global view of trackside and heard all the little paddock whispers that we'll get a, a good picture uh, of things. But one thing that's clear, it looks like it's going to be quite tight again. Average single lap pace was about 1.6% front to back last year. And that only goes so far because obviously the Red Bull was so fast in the race. So there was a little bit of uh, of skewing there. But coming back to this point about whether there's reasons to be 
concerned. You know, th- there's a lot of reasons to be positive, aren't there? It's looking quite close. Nobody seems to have made a spectacular blunder. We've got some nice little innovation. So still divergence in terms of some of the design elements. So we'll see how the performance shakes out. But th- there's lots of positives. Yeah, I think if you look at it glass half full, you would say there's reasons to believe that Mercedes, McLaren and Aston Martin have taken a bit of a step towards Red Bull. Ferrari, I, I leave out of that group purely because I, I, I didn't see enough, hear enough of their first day. So I'm just not going to make a, a, a call about Ferrari because I don't want to pretend that I have insight into them that I don't have. I think the midfield group should be more competitive. I think Alpine should be in a better shape than it was last year. We know RB should be competitive in that midfield, certainly versus what they were like last year at the start of the season. Jury's out on Williams. That was the closest we had to a team in trouble because there was a um, a fuel pump failure and a drive shaft failure, I think, on Albon for, yeah. on Albon's morning and Sergeant's afternoon. So they did. I think they still did around sixty laps. So it wasn't a write off, but it wasn't what they wanted to do. Obviously, that car came together a little bit later than intended. So and there's big changes there in terms of characteristics that they want to evaluate. So maybe a little bit behind the curve early on. Whatever. Sauber should make a step. Haas, I'm a little bit worried about, but I know that the t- lap times today are misleading. They're not a second off the back of that pack. It's not going to be a Williams 2019 season for them or a Haas 2021 season for them. Um, they should be better. They're just doing. They're being more data-led than ever in this test and being very methodical. Kevin Magnussen even joked that he doesn't remember driving a Haas with a with a um, aero rake on it before such is the difference of their approach to testing this time around so long st- long version of that cut down I'd like to think that even if Red Bull is still the, the standout there'll be a bit more competition from a few more teams and that gap between the teams behind Red Bull and the midfield which was really Alpine will be closer and there'll be more teams in that second group as well so your RB will step up, maybe a couple of other teams as uh, as well. And I don't think anyone will be marooned at the back. So it should be a very competitive field, um, which, would be, which would be good. Obviously, the ideal scenario is we go into Bahrain next weekend, not knowing who's going to start on pole and win the race. But sat here right now, I can't say for certain that it'll be Verstappen and Red Bull. Um, there's enough uncertainty. There's reason to go back to the track tomorrow and find out more. And hopefully by the end of this test, we'll have a better idea. And hopefully the glass half full version will start to prove to be validated a little bit. I think there's every reason to head back to the track tomorrow. Looking forward to it already. Uh, That brings us to an end for our roundup of day one in Bahrain. So head to therace.com, loads more analysis. And also you can sign up for the Members Club offer that I mentioned earlier. Otherwise, we'll be back with you tomorrow with everything you need to know from the world of F1 testing. The Athletic.